Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, all the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, listen to the commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, we are back with another episode of the Squared Away Podcast. I'm gonna go ahead and let uh, I'm gonna let Martin start us out today because we're gonna we're gonna dig deep into some kind of current events and then build up into current events. But I think we're going to start out with kind of a, a squared away update. I think what have we been up to, huh? Yeah. It feels like uh, it's been a while since we've done one. So without a guest or um, we did each of our own pieces a few weeks back. So um, let's see, you know, I've been uh, dealing with the back problems. So this is the 50 plus year old, uh, high mileage back issues. So I had a herniated disc a couple of weeks back. So I've been healing from that. Took about four days off in the gym and then had to go in and uh, restructure the way I worked out. So it didn't, it didn't really, you know, put me down, but, um, yeah, basically scientifically looking at, uh, L4, L5 have just pancaked and then L3 is herniated. So, um, when I asked the questions, between doctors and chiropractors, it's like, all right, 
stuff like lifting, you know, 400 plus pounds on a deadlift. What's the upside of that? And I couldn't give an answer. So, um, so now I'm uh, retooling my workouts and a lot of it basically involves, you know, body weight or, you know, body weight and a half, um, depending on the equipment and then, uh, less compression on the spine. So higher volume. So it's a lot different for me sitting here counting reps all the time. Yeah, but that's good for you. That's good for your, that's good for where you're at in your fitness life. You know, that was, that was kind of the, that was kind of the overall idea that I had without getting to the point where you are at with deadlifts. Like I will still deadlift once in a while, but it's not regularly in my routine because the cost to benefit analysis did not play out. You know, yes, I love to deadlift. I love to look like a fucking ogre in the gym. I love to throw around a lot of weight, but realistically, what is it doing for my body? Well, it's building some core strength, but not any core strength that I can't build doing other shit. Um, Grip strength. Yeah, maybe, but same thing. You can build that grip strength elsewhere. And what is the likelihood that you're going to hurt yourself? Well, since I started deadlifting, I say I probably hurt myself twice a year, every year since I started. So it's pretty fucking likely that you're going to hurt yourself. (laughs) At what point in time are you going to hurt yourself to the point that you're not going to be able to come back all the way from it? Well, I really don't want to get there. Right. And and I'm really realizing that deadlifting my body weight at a higher volume of reps, I'm getting as much, if not more benefit. I mean, my body actually feels better and more functional than, you know, going on these, uh, massive, heavy Olympic weight days and all of a sudden being like a bag of shit for three days. Well, and realistically, you're a lot more, uh, you're able to control form. You're able to do things the right way. You're able to keep everything tight. You're able to lift through your entire feet. Like when you're not just exerting every ounce of energy that you have to get the weight off the ground, you're able to concentrate on doing it properly. Yeah. And I'll admit the, the tough part I have is like, Oh gosh, man, anything beyond, you know, 10 reps. I'm like, ah, I hate sitting there counting and doing a million reps, but it actually isn't that bad. I mean, I, I don't think as much about counting the reps. I think more about my form and a good pace. So it's not like the CrossFit, you know, um, hundred miles an hour doing something, but it's, um, yeah, I mean the 15, 20 rep thing is, is not killing me. Um, doing more calisthenics, which, you know, I'm, I'm surprised how much muscle I'm building with calisthenics, simple things as, you know, pushups and then just, yeah, raw, raw pull-ups. So, um, getting a lot of benefit out of it. How, when you look at your whoop, how often is your heart rate actually elevated to like zone one? Probably like zero times a week. Yeah. It's just <laughs> not really, uh, I'm, I'm not killing myself. Let's just say. So my sleep is probably still the challenge. It's, it's like, I think the whoop thinks I need to sleep like all day long. So I, I don't know. I mean, I pull in, I've been doing really good. I mean, you're talking, I think I average seven hours of sleep. A night, which is a lot better than the, you know, the five hours before. So, um, but still it thinks I need to sleep like nine to 10 hours. Well, Hey, we can only compare ourselves to how good we were yesterday. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So I'm wondering where the whoop gets that logic from. But Well, it gets that logic because it's looking at all of your numbers, but then also combining it with the scientific backing of what humans need. You know, there is the possibility that you are fine with seven hours of sleep a night. Um, but if your HRV is not getting back to where it should be quick enough after an exertion day, then it knows that, yeah, you, you might mentally be okay with seven, but your neurological system is not okay with seven, you know? Yeah. Cause that heart rate variability is, is the most, I guess, accurate gauge that we have as to the health of the body. And it's not just the health of your recovery after a workout. It's literally the health of your body. It gets fucked. Your heart rate variability gets fucked up from mental stress. It gets fucked up from being sick. It gets fucked up as you start to go into some sort of, you know, disease, whether it's coronary artery disease or all this stuff, like anything that negatively can affect your body will negatively affect your heart rate variability. So it just knows that that number is not as high as it should be according to your baseline. And that's what it takes a large percentage of when it's telling you your recovery score and stuff like that. I'll start going to bed at six o'clock at night. Well, I wake um, up like Benjamin Button. So there, there's other things too that you can do. Um, and, and you would have to experiment with it yourself, but like a simple five minutes of um, breath work that is breath work that is consistently looking to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your kind of rest and recovery nervous system you know, five minutes of that twice a day may have the same impact on your heart rate variability as an entire another hour of sleep. So 10 minutes versus 60 minutes. You know what I mean? Right. So like there's a lot of that different kind of stuff. That, that is the reason why we see so much on um, people's recovery and we see so much about saunas and we see so much about cold baths and we see so much about all this other shit is because yeah, these people could probably sleep 10 hours a night, but is that realistic with the type of lifestyle that we have, you know, the type of people that are not okay just sitting around? No, that's not realistic. Yeah. So how can we kind of hack that recovery? And that's where, you know, simple, like you can listen to some of Huberman's podcasts about it, or there's plenty of videos online, but something simple like a, a five to seven second inhale through your nose, into your belly, not in your chest, but in your belly, a hold for two seconds, and then a five to seven second exhale through your mouth, out your belly, and then a two second hold at the bottom. And just repeat that, you know, 10 times. And that will drastically activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And it's going to put you in a relaxed recovery state where your body is going to do the work that it needs to do to improve it, which then will affect your heart rate variability. And that's been proven. That's been scientifically proven that simple things like that can improve your heart rate variability. Yeah. I should be a, become a Buddhist monk or something. Well, the funny thing is, Ooh. you know that, you know that ohm, right? Yeah. You know that noise? Do you know why they use that? Uh, I heard it once. Um, that tone, that, meaning. that tone at that ohm vibrating through your vocal cords actually activates the vagus nerve it's basically like massaging the vagus nerve with with vibratory tone and the vagus nerve is the connection from 
our brain to all of our organs. Well, that makes sense. So me mowing lawn for three hours yesterday, I, I felt like through my headphones, I was getting that ohm. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That could be it. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's specific tones that do it. Um, you know, I know I've talked about binaural beats on here before, but there's these things called binaural beats, which binaural just means two neurons, right? So what it is, is if you, if you, if your headphones are on properly and you have stereo and, you, and they're stereo, right? You have a right mm. and a left. And what a binaural beat is, is two different audio tones that go together. One that goes to your right ear and one that goes to your left ear. And they are produced to basically activate different parts of your brain through your right and your left because your right ear is connected to your left side of your brain and your left ear is connected to your right side of your brain. Pretty sure that's right. Don't quote me on that, but it's one way or the other because like the right side of your brain is mostly, mostly operates the left side of your body and the left side of your brain mostly Mm -hmm. operates the right side of your body. Um, it's kind of why you see, uh, um, not you see, but they have done studies on people that are, have had accidents where their right hemisphere and their left left hemisphere of their brain are disconnected. Um, and they can, they can cover the eye that is connected to the part of the brain that actually forms vocabulary. Right. And they can show things to that part of the, to that eye. Um, and the other side of the brain will, will say something like they'll show one side of the brain, right? And there's no connection here. So the, the, the part of your brain that formulates vocabulary does not know the reason that it's coming up with this word, but it'll say dog. And then when researchers will ask why it said dog, it'll make an excuse. Oh, because when I was on my way here today, I saw a dog. And so that's the first thing that came to mind. But realistically, it showed a picture of dog food to the other side of the brain that is not connected to the right, to the side of your brain that formulates uh, vocabulary. Hmm. That's getting deep. It is. It's, it's super crazy. But when you start to get into these studies, it starts to explain like why certain things activate in certain parts of your brain and why somebody that maybe doesn't have a part of their brain that is developed as much operates a different way and all these different things. But it is, it is crazy when they start to find organic ways because they could never go in and disconnect two people, you know, two, two sides of a brain and say, we want to study you, right? Like right. that, that would never pass. But they can find somebody who, you know, one, I think one guy accidentally had, he was in a car accident and a rod went perfectly through the back of his neck to sever the connection between the, the two parts of his brain. Jeepers. And he lived, but the two parts of his brain were completely disconnected. So they, they used him um, to study the, what the different hemispheres in the brain do. And it was like a bunch of this kind of stuff. It's the same with twin studies. Have we talked about any of the twin studies on here? No. So... When you have identical twins, they have the same genetics, right? Yeah. And so when you have identical twins that are separated at birth due to um, being adopted by different families, then you can directly research how much of what we become is genetic and how much of what we become is um, environmental. Because when you see the difference and the likenesses between those two people who have never met have the exact same genetics, but were raised in two different environments, you can see the differences. And when you start to get into these studies, like <laughs> a lot more of what we become is genetic than we want to admit. Like hmm. we're, we're talking two twins, uh, two female twins 
that were separated at birth. And I won't get this exactly right, but uh, it's, it's something like this. I'll just kind of high spot it separated at birth, raised hundreds and hundreds of miles away from each other in two different families, both dropped out of school in their junior year or somewhere around there, you know, 16, 17 to pursue careers in art. Both ended up marrying like politicians. And it was like, they were almost the same person, even though they were never met each other and were raised completely different. Hmm. You know, sometimes kids are like that. Yeah. So it's just, you know, when you start to look into the studies, I don't know how we got that deep into that. Oh, your heart rate variability. That's how we got into that. <laughs> it all started with the whoop discussion. Rabbit hole. So, so yeah, I think that's probably the biggest chunk happening on my side. Uh, what about you? Um, we, you know, the physical, I run mesocycles and there's a few guys that I work out with now that I, I, kind of train, but I don't really, I just kind of give them shit to do. And if they're with me, then we do it together. If they're on their own, then they do it on their own. But at least I'm at least giving them a platform to work off of, you know? And so we run mesocycles. So we'll run, you know, eight to 12 weeks of a strength cycle. And then we'll run eight to 12 weeks of a, um, muscle building cycle. And then we'll go back and forth. So we just transitioned back into a strength strength cycle, which is a four week rotation of a five, three, one. Um, so we just got through our first month of that. So that's fun. It's really cool to be off of a lot of those lifts for, you know, three months and then come back and be just about where you were when you left, you know, maxing your bench or maxing your, you know, standing shoulder press or maxing your, your leg press or squat. It's pretty cool to come back after three months and, and still be there or damn close. You know, I think like we were at or within five pounds of, of where we were when we left off. Um, my, I'm trying to do more, um, of that steady, not steady state cardio, but more of that elevated cardio, um, to, get my resting heart rate down to a, a, a healthier level. Um, I mean, my rest, my resting heart rate is, is always between 53 and 57 anyways, which is basically considered an athlete in my age group. But I would like to try to keep my resting heart rate down below um, 50, which means my heart is basically able. It's, it's so efficient that it is able to pump enough blood to my body with less beats, which means my cardiovascular system is on point. And while I'm always growing my mind and improving my neurons, I'm not always concentrating on the longevity of my body. So I guess long story short, I'm trying to do a little bit more for that type of stuff. Hmm. You know? Yeah. No, it's good. The emotional, the mental, the mental, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always working on stuff. I've, I've been looking into the vagus nerve lately and its connection to things like anxiety, depression, um, irritable bowel issues, digestive issues, basically a lot of what affects the body from the mind comes from an overactive or underactive vagus nerve because the mind will say, Hey, this is kind of scary. And then the vagus nerve goes crazy and makes the body go completely out of whack. Um, so 
been reading about that and doing a lot of research on that lately. Um, the spiritual and the emotional. The emotional was really was really interesting after um, it was actually after the last podcast with John Giordano because I really resonate with his story of coming out of recovery and going into therapy and getting his therapist license. And I really, really resonated with that. And then I started to look into what that actually entails. And it's years and years of your life to take like a 50% pay cut for me. (laughs) So currently with my family where they're at needing to support multiple people, I don't think I'll be going to get my therapy license anytime soon. (laughs) But it did. It did spark that interest in me at least. Well, that's good. It's good. Hopefully we get a lot of good feedback from that one. That one was crazy. I, I really like that one. Yeah. So current events, should we dig into some fucking, some world wars? Yeah. Or what's going to become a world war at this point? Jeez. So biggest one, I think in the last uh, few days is a couple days is, uh, so Hamas attacks Israel. And Hamas is, is Palestinians militant group, right? Yeah. And I, and I figured, uh, I mean, this is years, years and years old. So maybe we should just give a little bit of background on what yeah. this battle is. So, because I know a lot of listeners do understand, but a lot of people here, Israel, Palestine, they don't really get what's going on. Yeah. So Hamas is they're they're considered terrorists. So the UN considered them terrorists who they denounce Israel's occupation of basically the land of, you know, they think it belongs to them. They think it's the old biblical Palestine. So um, Hamas, their background, I mean, they're, they were basically the Muslim, they were a part of the Muslim Brotherhood in the late um, 1980s. And yeah, they're, technically, they're an Islamist militant group. Um, they took over to the Gaza Strip, if you've heard about the Gaza Strip. Um, and they did it in 2006 uh, through elections, so it wasn't like they, you know, were killing people. Um, population about 2 million within that area. And basically, yeah, between them and Israel, it's it's a battle for the, quote, holy land. Yeah, because Israel originally, up until what was in 1969, did not actually have a country. They were living, Traveling, yeah. living in and around the area, but they didn't have, Israel was not a country. And then... I think it was 1969. Don't quote me on that, but I think 1969 is when um, the country of Israel was established. And if you look at uh, uh, maps, and there's really good maps online, if you just type in like Israel growth, it shows like what Israel was when it was established in 1969, which was like these little colorful spots throughout um, that area, and then like to now, where it's like the majority of that area with little pieces that are are still considered palestine so the problem is is in that area and and this it's a it's a really fucked up movie but um don't mess with zohan you remember that movie with adam sandler it's awful don't like but the hairstylist yes but (laughs) the it, it gives you a really comical way to view the discrepancies between palestinians and the islamic people and um not islamic the israeli people excuse me um And to understand that both of them think that that area is home and both of them think that they are fighting the good fight for the future of their family. Neither of them think they're wrong. Right. Yeah. I think about the closest that they've become to 
some type of settlement was in 2021. And that's when uh, Trump, you know, started the Abraham Accords, which completely got axed, I think, the first day uh, Biden got in office. So, And what did those entail? So basically the, you know, Saudis didn't, are in the same boat where they don't uh, recognize Israel as a sovereign nation. Okay. Um, and you have Bahrain, you have uh, Qatar, some people call it Qatar nowadays. You know, all those countries, it's, it's just, it's been conflict. It's been wars, um, endless wars over there. And a lot of it yeah, is over ideologies and land, basically. And um, that Abraham Accords that, that Trump went in, everybody's like, well, that was a peace treaty. I mean, it is a historic, quote, kind of peace treaty. All it was doing was laying a foundation for them to come to the table and stop fighting and you know be able to sit and negotiate which right now little pieces of that have uh have happened where the saudis have worked with israel basically it's it's over oil is is about the only agreements i think people can come to because you know money talks right yep so so yeah so now um you know your your brother joe and literally his brother jim biden has they have interests with the Saudi government and that, you know, part of uh, that whole money scheme with the oil over there. So there's a lot of complex pieces that are involved right now, but ultimately it's, yeah, it's about the resources in that area. So. So what, what led up to this most recent attack, which is this, this attack has been, it's been, uh, I guess, um, referred to as like, Israel's 9-11, right? Like, this is not just a little attack. This is... Yeah, they came in with, like, everything. Yeah, a large-scale, organized attack on Israel. Um, we're only two days in, and 600 Israeli people have been con- um, considered dead, or, I guess, found dead, and yeah. 300 approximate Hamas or Palestinians. What yeah, led up to this? A, well, the... Um... Without getting in the finance side, it's it was a definitely pre-planned. Um, this was the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur attacks, um, because it's you know obviously with their Yom Kippur right now. Um, yeah, Biden released about six billion dollars to Iran. Uh, Hamas, they are you know part of Iran. Um, you can't you know blame the whole country for it. Um, as part of a, uh, prisoner deal, apparently, I, I don't know who the individuals were, but $6 billion were released to them and that kind of triggered. So obviously, you know, you got funding to go to war, right? So, um, yeah, next thing you know, this is what they do. They launch rockets in and now we're in full scale. Yeah. It, so Israel is considered possibly the world's best intelligence operation. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. They, what, are, what are their intelligence operations called? It starts with an M. Yeah, I can't even. Um, but the Israeli defense minister estimates that Iran funds nearly $100 million annually to Hamas. 700 million to Hezbollah and tens of millions to Islamic Jihad. So 
just to give you an idea of when money is sent to Iran, what that actually means. Um, and I'm not getting into the right and the wrong because I don't think that I am able to speak on that from the area, but, uh, or for, you know, from not knowing, I guess the, uh, the politics and the history as well as I should. But I do know that funding any sort of organization that causes chaos like that is not necessarily considered right. Correct. Yep. So Mossad is the Israeli intelligence community. Mossad. There's, yeah. yeah. There's three parts of Mossad is the, the biggest unit. So, um, so we so we released how much was it six billion? Yeah, six billion that was held in um, uh, bank in South Korea. So, and I'm trying to look up the. So I, Iran has had issues for quite a while, and you know you have to have money to go to war, right? So um, there was a deal that was made in the Obama administration that sent a lot of money over there. And started funding them, which is weird because, you know, we help fund the Iron Dome in Israel and we're also pumping money into uh, Iran. So, yeah, so the Iranian government now has access to six billion of their funds that have, but it's only to be used for humanitarian purposes. But then, (laughs) you know, hold that's a hard stop, right? Because the Iranian government immediately said, we will choose, we will not, we will choose, we will define what it is meant by humanitarian purposes. Right. Right? Yep. So, yeah, going back the, so under the Obama administration, it was, it was a $1.7 billion cash payment um, that was sent over there, literally on a pallet. So if you remember that. That was sent to Iran? Yeah. What was that for now? I don't even remember that. Uh, there was, there's no specific reason that was given there were so many different things they said one it was a supposedly their money already but there there's nothing i think there's five different reasons that were given oh well, the cash payments were necessary because of the effectiveness of the u.s and international sanctions kind of a payback from sanctioning them so we sanctioned them they lost a bunch of money because of these sanctions and we're basically saying, Hey, sorry, here's $1.7 billion to Correct. make up for your sanctions. Huh? Yeah. That kind of, that's one of the, like the five reasons. So we don't know. I mean, it's a terrorist state. We've determined it was a terrorist state, but that's nothing new for our government. I mean, we've funded a lot of terrorist states. I mean, you look at Libya, you look at, oh gosh, what happened in Egypt? So, nothing new for us. Yeah. And we're I mean, giving and, and billions, billions to Ukraine too, right? Yeah, and, and this is the weird thing too, is like, <laughs> is it our responsibility to be to be funding these things? And, and the answer is no, but also yes. <laughs> like, it's a really shitty argument to have because, you know, even if you want to talk about the Ukrainian war, um, in all reality, every time we send a billion dollars to the Ukrainian war, how much of it actually goes into the war effort? Not right. a billion. I don't know what the real number is, but it's not a billion. It's the one. It's it's one of the most crooked com- or countries in the in the 
Eastern Europe. Yeah, you are 100% correct there. So, yeah, we funded them, I mean, hundred and some billion dollars now. And we just keep sandwiching all these, uh, you know, bills into piles and piles and piles of bills and just keep force feeding money over there. And, you know, it doesn't make sense when Congress is sitting there saying, well, we need to shut down because we need funding just to pay our, our interest on our debt. So what's the, what's the reality, right? And I, and I don't know the answer here, but like if you loaned me, let's say you loaned me 50,000 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I needed that $50,000 to be able to like keep my life going and to try to keep my business afloat, right? Yeah. And then I came back and I said, all right, Martin, I'm getting close. I just need another $50,000. You're like, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to need some sort of a guarantee. Okay, well, I guarantee that like you can have my house, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I came back and I said, hey, man, um, so like I have no equity in that house. The bank is going to get that house. Um, so you really have zero chance of getting your $100,000 back if I go under. But I think with another $50,000, I can make it work. Yeah. Right? Because we've given them all this money. Have we just given them this money or has this been given to them on international loans that we're expecting to get paid back at some time? Or is this just gifts? Yeah. I mean, we we don't know what happens in the back room there. What is expected from that cash? So, yeah, that I can't tell you because none of that's been uh, been made known. So. Hmm. I don't know. It's weird. Which leads us to. Congress, Congress with a record-setting low poll rating of their disapproval percentage is 80% of the public disapproves of Congress, yet they still function. Um, you know, Kevin McCarthy just got voted out, ousted. Yeah, for, as the House Speaker, right? Yep. So, so a lot of uh, GOP members will say that, you know, I mean, he's a bit of a rhino. Um, you know, I think he was just basically doing the bidding of the establishment anyway. Uh, what the news does not cover, even if you try to Google it, is basically Matt Gates is, they're trying to vilify him right now, right? Yep. That's all you see. So Matt Gates was part of the, gosh, I forgot the name of the, there's a group of like six Republicans. The that Block. Basically, I think that they call it the Block, B-L-O-C, the Block. Yep, and uh, Eli Crane, former team guy, um, yep. he's part of that block. And basically what they're, you know, the biggest things is the same things that on the Democratic side when those, uh, what do they call those, uh, AOC and uh, Ilhan Omar. Yeah, I can't remember what they call them. the other nut job. Basically or, the, ex- the, extreme, the extremes. Yeah. So they said they were coming into the Democratic Party to basically put, you know, terms for Congress and, Make sure that they're, you know, only doing single bill, you know, processes versus lumping all these bills together and tucking stuff in there, you know, bringing fiscal responsibility. And then obviously they got voted in and they never covered it again. Well, Matt Gates is, if you really read about him, he's a pretty good guy. I think he's been through some family tragedy, which really, you know, put some foundation for him and, and perspective on what he's doing in Congress. And he basically, yeah, he wanted to get McCarthy out of there. And he's pushing for, yeah, the 12-year terms for Congress. And 
the single bill process and bring in fiscal responsibility back because we can't pay our interest. So, you know, now they're probably going to try to basically demolish them like they're doing with, uh, you know, any establishment resistance is, is what I'm saying. But, um, you know, I, right now I'm not a big Trump fan, but, you know, it's what they're doing to Trump, right? I think they're basically going to, like, milk Trump out of the billionaires club. Yeah, they're just going to drag. Yeah, they're just going to they're going to drag everything on as long as they can, which we saw it with whether you like the guy or not. Right. Rush Limbaugh. Like, yes, Rush was a fucking nut job. Rush did so many drugs that he lost his hearing. He was doing somewhere between 10 and 20 thousand dollars worth of um, Oxycontin a day. Jeez, man. Um, But with that said, Speaking out against the establishment caused that man to be, um, oh shit, what do they call that when they come back on you for your taxes? Oh, oh man. <laughs> Why can't I think of the word? Um, years and years of back taxes? Well, no, 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 no. When they, when they, when they come back to investigate your taxes, your filing. Oh, audit. Audit. Yep. Caused him to be audited on his taxes. Every year for like fucking 10 years or something like that. Like they will use the power that they have against you in the most legal way possible. Yes, that's for sure. And that is what they're doing to Trump right now is they are saying we are, we will stay, you know, above board as much as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. But we are going to use every single means necessary to make sure that you are no longer a threat to the establishment. Right. And some of the stuff, I mean, is very clearly just out of bounds. It's what's the latest one. They're saying that he is, um, uh, overvalued. I didn't see that one. Overvalued property in New York, overvalued his property in Mar-a-Lago. So the question is though, if they if he overvalued property in New York, but he got financing for all that, wouldn't you think the banks would have been smart enough to figure it out back then instead of lending the money? Well, I don't I don't know, right? Like the problem is is us speaking from where we're at is so like unnotified of the details that we're really just spitballing and talking shit, you know? Yeah. But like is there even anything illegal about valuing a property? Well, there isn't. They're saying they're trying to get him for um, uh, fraudulence. Is basically what they're saying. So, like, so, like, when I when I went in to get my my HELOC, right? When I when I went in to get my home equity line of credit, um, they they literally took my Zillow estimate, my Zestimate, yeah, and used that to look at the amount of equity that I had in my house to then, you know, give me a a, a home equity line of credit to the level of 80% of my value of my house minus what I owed, right? Yep. That zestimate in all reality was likely more than what I could sell my house for. But I didn't fraudulently do anything. Correct. Well, it's like if you sold your house and you had a buyer and you told them, well, it's a million dollars, right? Yeah. 
and the buyer buys it for a million dollars. It's worth a million dollars. Yeah. It's worth a million dollars to that buyer. He obviously paid for it. So yeah. he can't go back at you 10 years later. But it goes back to, I mean, what is it? The 91 counts against Trump. And if you look at a uh, majority of them, they're like conspiracy um, related to January 6th. You know, the charges start with conspiracy. They're, they're not charges. And the reason I say this is, you know, I don't want to say too much information, but, you know, I'm going through a process right now where, yeah, I'm involved with stuff that has been, I don't know if you want to deem it anti-establishment, but stepped on some of their toes. And, yeah, they're coming for me on the finance side, trying to hit me there with basically nothing. And that's basically what it looks like also on, on that Trump side. It's just, whether you like him or not, I mean, it's, I think it's just a prime example of, guess what? If you go against the establishment, you know, they're going to come after you. And what what is the technical term for that when uh, you're going after your political opponents? Is there a technical term for it? Yeah, I thought there was. So, I don't know, it escapes me. But Sabotage? Is it sabotage? No. Reminds me of the Beast. Does it start with an R? Oh. You're trying to get re you're trying to get revenge? No, that's not right. No, it's revenge, but it's it sets a dangerous precedence. I mean, we're to a point right now where it's you know, if you go against what they say, they're going to crush you. You know, you're seeing that and you might want to call it cancel culture, but it's like a whole next level of canceling. Well, it, it and and the cancel culture was just one thing or is just one thing that is causing self-censorship. And the self-censorship is the scariest part of it all because it is the the minute that people start to censor or regulate things that they are that they are thinking things that they think they should say, but they are scared to say because of the possible um, retraction, right? We all have self-censorship. We do. We have to censor ourselves because there's shit that I want to say in public that I shouldn't say, right? But when the self-censorship starts to infringe on things that need to be said is when it starts to become really, really scary because it is like the, the wizard behind the behind the curtain has more power than they ever should if they are stopping you from saying things that you know need to be said. Yeah. But censorship is, is one of the tools in the toolkits that they're using to keep the population separated, right? It's one of the items that, you know, we're internally battling each other over. Yeah, because they can't, they can't, well, I guess they could, but it would be it would be a, a big red flag if they started to censor um, the way that, you know, the, in, in, in the in the most um, obvious way. Right. Right. If they started to take people and they and they started to just censor them. Well, yeah, that's pretty obvious and it's a big red flag. But if they can forcefully make you censor yourself. Then they're winning. Right. Yeah, which, I mean, on the same topic of politics is, you know, I'm a little afraid for, um, you know, Kennedy is thinking about running as an independent. You hear that? I did not hear that. So, 
because he, he knows he doesn't have a chance. I mean, the Dems are not going to let him run. So he is, you know, seriously considering running as an independent, which, you know, yeah, I'm very interested in what he has to say. Um, you know, not saying that I'd vote for him. I, I want to, you know, see him make a case for what, you know, kind of a president he would be. But what's the impact to the left? What's the impact to the right? I don't know at this point. I'm looking at it as, I, like we discussed before, it's either going to be, you know, establishment versus non-establishment is going to be what the election is going to be about. Or it's just going to be, boom, independent, you know, guy comes in like Kennedy and it's going to take votes from one side or the other. I, I will say that that really listening to what Kennedy has to say, he is very much the the people's party versus he's a classical liberal, right? He is a very classical liberal as to yeah, he's a real, moderate. he is, he is anti he's, he's not even a real moderate, almost libertarian. No, he's a very much a classical liberal. He wants to regulate big business so that it is not have more power over the people than the people have power. Yeah. So like he, his uncle. Very much like his uncle. Um, he is, you know, in, an environmentalist. That, that is his original trade, is an environmental yep. lawyer. Yep. Um, so he is, a, he is an environmentalist. He is not okay with the laxed environmental policies to support economic gain the way that the right and even some of the left is. Mm-hmm. He is very much a, a a politician for the people but not not the top 3% of people he is a politician for the bottom 80% of people right and his funding right is uh he doesn't have any packs or donors or anything like that right i have not it's all looked grassroots. In, i have not looked into his funding i i think that would that sounds right but i can't say for sure yeah. um where his funding has come from Probably a lot from his from his books, which makes sense. I mean, a lot of your non-establishment types, like you know, Matt Gates, is not uh, PAC funded. Yeah, um, Eli Crane is not PAC funded either. So, um, and Eli Crane, I know, talks about you know being approached once he got into office and being threatened that you know if he doesn't make decisions a certain way that you know he'll lose opportunities to be funded. Well, and and realistically, that's what um, that's what that speaker of the house um that's the power that they hold they hold the power to put you on committees that can actually make a difference right so it's not yeah. even it's not even necessarily a a money play as much as it is a okay if i'm going to go right if you're coming in you're coming yeah. in as just a just a member and you think well if i go against what the speaker says i'm not my time here is going to be useless I'm not going to be able to actually make any actionable change mm-hmm. because I'm not going to be put on any committees that allow me to be able to help. So if I go with something that they want, then I'll be able to be put on committees and then I'll be able to actually make a change, right? It's it's dealing with the devil is what right. it comes down to. Right. And I just think, I don't know, our, our government's turning into a, a donor-driven government. And um, I don't know, I heard this really good analogy about how things are happening right now. It's kind of like a, uh, 
you know, with the divorce rates they are nowadays. Um, it's, it's a divorce lawyer slash prenuptial analogy, right? So let's say a guy and a gal, you know, get together and they talk about getting married and, and they're like, well, you know, to protect ourselves, we're going to, you know, each get a lawyer, we're going to write up a prenup, right? So that we're both protected in case something happens. Okay. So, so then, um, the lawyers, you know, both look over the agreement that this couple, you know, comes to agree with how they're going to split their assets and whatnot. And, and one day the, uh, divorce lawyer for the, uh, the female says, you know, I've seen a lot of cases like this and, uh, you're really getting lowballed here. You're taking the least amount that I've ever seen for, you know, for the woman in this situation. Wait, is this during writing the prenup or are we already past the prenup? The prenup's been agreed on and now we're getting a divorce. No, this is a uh, during the writing of the prenup. Got it. Okay. So the, the couple, the couple agrees, right? Okay. But then they have to take that agreement to these lawyers, okay. right? To make sure that if anything happens, they have their own lawyer okay. that's serving their interest. So this lawyer is like, well, you know, I think you should get more for, you know, on this side. And then, so the lawyer also approaches the, the, the man's lawyer and he says, Hey, there's, um, you know, this clause and she wants to, you know, get more for them. And the other lawyer's like, what? I thought they just agreed to this and just presented to us. And then, you know, so what does he do? He goes to the man and says, Hey, this is what, you know, um, they're coming back with. And all of a sudden the dude goes to his you know, girlfriend's like, Hey, what? I thought we agreed to this. She's like, well, but he said out of everything that he's seen, you know, this is the lowest I've taken. So it really should be this. And they get into a back and forth, back and forth, right? And with the lawyers. And then at the end of, let's say two months, instead of the original $3,000, right? It, it takes to write up a prenup. All of a sudden they get this bill for like $13,000. And out of that created conflict, the lawyers aren't working for, you know, their people. They're working with each other to drive more more revenue, correct? So that's kind of how the government's working right now is it's it's telling one side one thing, telling the other side the other thing, and meanwhile, they're just generating tax revenue for themselves. But in that analogy, mm -hmm. isn't the higher lawyer bill, couldn't that also be considered just a byproduct of that lawyer looking out for her thinking that there's a chance that she took this just because she's stupidly in love and is not thinking about her best interest if the relationship were to go a sour? Uh, yeah, that could be. <laughs> I mean, just could it's, be. it's a little bit of a holy analogy is all I'm saying. It could be. But if a couple, you know, agrees together and it's reasonable, you know, the lawyer basically just needs to drop the papers. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, not, you know, it really shows a relationship if all of a sudden it goes back and forth and how how much can we get out of this just in case. Then it's like they're already preparing for disaster, so. See, I think, I think where that analogy could be improved to be really more accurate for what we're dealing with today is if we went into that analogy, we got all the way to the point where the lawyers start arguing, right? And then we come out the backside and it causes enough conflict that the couple is fighting to the point that they don't even know if they want to be together anymore. We've completely lost the entire original conversation that was meant to be had, which is where we're at as a country. We have completely lost 
what it means to be American because we're so fucking worried about the lawyer speak that we've given up on each other and looking out for each other and helping each other and what it means to be an American person. Just like the couple is completely forgot and, and, and is, is unable to feel the feeling of love because they're battling about finances. Yeah. And I think that's another, uh, another way of looking at it. You know, when you're looking at that analogy from the perspective of the lawyers, right? If they're creating conflict to generate more revenue. Yeah. You know, if, if you compare that to the government today, I mean, that's basically what's happening is creating conflict. I mean, if you looked at, you know, the second amendment folks, right. Which gosh, darn it. I feel, I feel like I have to interject this January 6th thing that we didn't cover. Okay. Yep. So let's go off topic. We got time. No, we got, we got, we got 10 more minutes. All right. So the January 6th thing. So now, you know, the facts have come out that there was basically a shitload of federal agents that were there that day. And the federal agents were funneling people into the Capitol. So that was a situation that was created. And then all of a sudden everything kind of steamrolled after that. So if you, if you think about it, if these were two A people that were storming the Capitol, wouldn't you think that they would be carrying that day? Wouldn't you think that would have been a real revolution? Not a bunch of people that, you know, were like, oh, okay, here's a list of uh, stuff that I'm packing for today. Uh, bologna sandwich, uh, mittens, um, thermos full of coffee, and then I'm going to get ushered into the Capitol and are just taking a tour. Yeah, these are the people that are getting, you know, arrested. Are you following me? Yeah. So you're saying you're saying that if, if the, they were actually two A people that were following through with this, they would have would have put on body armor and would have, you know, marched in with, yeah. All right. There's also the, there's also the chance that they are peacefully trying to peacefully protest their views, not hold the government hostage. There's also that possibility. Right. But I don't think it was a siege when you're just kind of let into the Capitol and well, walking we, around. We know, that fal- we know <laughs> that false flag events are part of the repertoire of tactics of our, yeah. um, you know, CIA basically, yep. or our, our intelligence agencies understand false flags and they know how to have them. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it with, um, as simple as like uh, uh, times when the unions have hired um, bullies to basically go into, you know, go into the other side and start fights with their own people to then be able to say, look, they're violent protesters. We need to knock this down. Right. I mean, is it ever going to get to that point where, you know, it leads up to, a revolution where all of a sudden you got BLM people looking at the two A people and saying, Hey, you know what? You do you, I do me. And let's look at, let's stand up against the establishment. Does true, true revolution. Are they ever really planned? No, it's, it's, um, they just happen, right? They just happen. It's a powder keg. It's a powder keg that's that's just rolling around, building steam, building steam, building steam, building steam, and then something happens that lights the fucker off. Right. It's like 1776, right? It's like uh, everybody thinks that whatever, 
you know, our founding fathers just got together and drafted that. And next thing you know, we go to war. It's, uh, it didn't happen like that. I mean, it's, if you read history, I mean, it was, it was basically, it led up to the tea party where, what was the actual tea party? They weren't just throwing British tea in the water, right? It was basically British didn't want, um, the Americans making their own tea and then wanted to tax them for sending their tea over. So as a result, it was a big fuck you. And then they tossed the tea over and, uh, the British sent, you know, sent, uh, troops over to what? To basically disarm, disarm, disarm the populace. Boom. Right there. Disarm the populace. That was their intent. And then basically there was a standoff. Somebody did the shot and heard around the world. And next thing you know, boom, war happens, right? And then they had to mobilize on our end. So Ben Franklin, that's where the, uh, was that the, um, not the don't tread on me, but the, um, oh, that, that union snake, uh, piece of art was, uh, was done by Ben Franklin to bring the colonies together to join up and fight. The the reality is is we're there's never going to be a revolution in this country while financially we're all stable enough to feed ourselves and and feel comfortable and sit in air conditioning and watch TV and have cell phones. It's not going to happen. Yeah, you never see people take up arms, right? It's 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 just it's it's not going. They know the the establishment knows. Unless that, it comes to your doorstep, well, physically, physically, yes. But the establishment knows as long as. As long as Americans are comfortable, they're fine. Yeah. Easily manipulated. Yeah. As long as they got Taylor Swift. Yeah. Taylor Swift, football. You got football? You got Sunday night football? You're good. They'll shut the fuck up. Yep. They'll, they'll, they'll have things to talk about at the water cooler on Monday um, rather than the actual reality of what's happening to their lives and their children's lives and their future. Because, I mean, Americans as individuals are intelligent. Americans as a large group are fucking idiots. Yeah, I mean, doesn't that paint the picture that instead of really establishment versus non-establishment, it's like the manipulators versus the manipulated? But who are the manipulators? Yeah, and that's that's the question. Because the real manipulators are not the politicians. Yeah, I think it goes above. It's those that control the politicians. So who controls the politicians? I don't know. You track the next level is what? The donors? Probably the top 0.1% of income. Not income, but actually um, uh, net worth individuals. That'd be the place to start, right? Because that's where the, the money is, right? Ooh, that's not a Republican statement right there. But the Democratic statement is the 1% aren't paying their taxes, which I think is totally different from what we're talking about, the 1%. Yeah. So. The haves and have-nots. So you got to follow the money and the intent, so. Oof, that's dark. But it makes you think. I mean, realistically, we've seen it in, we've seen it in movies for the last fucking 50 years, right? Yeah, I mean, follow the money. So many signs, but you know, I think people have gotten so lazy. That well, it's, it's comfortable. It's think. easy. It's easy to be lazy. It's easy not to think. Yeah, easy to be manipulated because it's dark. It's dark inside when you start to look at what where, where we're at. It's really fucking dark. Yeah, it hurts. 
but where's the point come where you are tired of being manipulated or is it their mindset is they don't think they're being manipulated is it that one what's that harry tubman or as quoted to what harry tubman said is uh i don't think she said it but it's you know i would i freed a thousand slaves but um i could have freed a thousand more if they realized they were slaves yeah that's a good one think about Think about all of the major superpowers throughout history that have crumbled. Um, the minute they're too comfortable to give up what they have yeah. is the minute that they're destined to crumble. The fucking Mongolians, excuse me, the fucking Mongolians. The Mongolians under Genghis Khan conquered more of the world than anyone ever has. And within like three generations, they were too comfortable to keep it. Yeah, that's pretty sad. I mean, I always think of the Roman civilization where basically they got to a point where they just kept wanting to entertain themselves. Oh, weird. Gosh. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. It's that go back to dopamine, huh? (laughs) Oh, well, it's, it's, realistically what it is and I don't give up you if you don't believe in evolution go fuck yourself first um but realistically what it is is we evolved for 150 to 200,000 years uh which is you know somewhere around 70,000 generations I think um so we evolved 70,000 generations um to really only worry about uh keeping our close uh, relatives safe, feeding our families, um, and feeding ourselves. And we didn't have, we didn't grow the ability. We didn't build the ability in the last really 5,000 years max. Uh, we didn't build the ability to deal with complex issues like this. Um, And we are such a dynamic being as far as the complexity of our genetics that the bigger and more complex the genetics, the harder it is to evolve new traits and the traits that you would need to evolve to deal with complex issues like a large civilized society. It's just, it's not going to happen in 5,000 years. So either we hand it over to we hand it over to the machines that can evolve a hundred thousand years in five years, or we keep going down this repetitive path of growth and collapse and growth and collapse until we develop the needed hardware to be able to deal with a complex civilization. And the reality is, is there's going to be hundreds more superpowers grow and collapse before we really develop that trait. Yeah. But don't you think our forefathers, uh, realized that when basically they drafted the constitution realize that everything has a basis sometimes we have to go back to go back to the basics 
they realized it and they did their absolute best to write a document that would save it as much as it could. Um, but then are you talking about, you know, humans and humans, humans are the problem, <laughs> right? Humans are the gift and humans are the problem. Both. So if I followed your evolution, uh, then AI would need to take that over and, uh, administrate it. Yep. <laughs> then right now we're talking Terminator. Terminator or Elysium. Elysium. Is that that movie with, uh, well, Elysium, Elysium is a hypothetical, I guess, place. Ideal state. It's a, it's a, it's a hypothetical, perfect place. Um, let's see what it says when I Google Elysium, uh, meaning. Elysium meaning uh, is a place or condition of ideal happiness. It's a fictitious, imaginary, mythical place that exists only in an imagination, a place that exists in fictional or religious writings. Um, It is basically heaven, but on earth. And if you knew, right? So here, follow me. If you knew that there was no way, and, and and I realize that this is not, a realistic request. So you're going to have to put yourself in an imagine imaginatory state right now. Okay. If you knew that there was no way that you would ever need to fight for your freedom or protect yourself from a, I guess, negative doing human, you knew it. You really knew it truly. Right. Could you give up your guns? Hmm. Probably not. Because you don't trust it. No. Right? Because you don't trust it. Correct. But if you really trusted it, really, really, really trusted it, then you could. If, uh, yeah, if I really trusted it, yeah. So... The reality is that there is probably going to need to be a God that implements heaven on earth before we are ever able to experience heaven on earth. Okay. (laughs) Just food for thought. Um... Yeah, I thought you were talking about Elysium, the movie that was out in 2013. I believe that's that's where it got its title was because it's supposed to be a, a humans humans uh, attempt at creating the perfect society. I think yeah. was what was where the idea of Elysium came out. Yeah, but the that word, the name the word Elysium is much older than the film. Oh yeah, but I think the film is interesting because it's it's like you said a lot is uh, shown in movies, right? Yep. So year two two thousand one hundred fifty four. Humanity is sharply divided between two classes of people, the ultra-rich that live aboard the luxurious space station called Elysium, and the rest live in a hard-scrabble existence in Earth's ruins. So, and this, the one hero in the story is taking a dangerous mission that could bring equality to the population. But the Secretary of State vows to preserve the 
pampered lifestyle of the citizens in Elysium, no matter what the cost. Hmm. Have you seen that one? Uh, I believe I watched it right when it came out. Yeah. Um, the you know the the one thing is not the one thing. There's a million fucking things, but the first thing that comes to mind is when we talk about that is yeah. um our inability to agree on what really matters. Like if I told a majority of our population that to achieve this Elysium type society you no longer get an upgraded phone every two years. You no longer get supercars. You no longer get, um, you know, McDonald's. You no longer get the choice of gluttonous foods. You no longer get the choice of numbing your mind for hours at a time. You no longer get, the majority of our population would be absolutely fucking up in arms. Yeah, well, it would, that would kind of uh, kill capitalism, wouldn't it? It would. That's the problem. Capitalism isn't right. It's just right now. It's the best that we have right now. Yeah. But why is capitalism so good? Because capitalism makes it so that the majority of the population can work and provide for their family. Right? Yeah. I mean, capitalism brings opportunities. Okay. But hold. What if you could provide for your family without working. I'd say that would be a pretty uh, strange but boring life, yeah. Well, it would be interesting because at the point where, let's say, your house, your health care, your food, and your medical is no longer dependent on you working, then you are only working for your wants, not your needs. And what does that do for the populace? Hmm. I think one big thing we would see is we would see the people that are just okay with enjoying themselves, seeing the world, loving their family, and don't need more than that. You yeah. would see a lot of them bow mostly out of the workforce. Yeah. What about the lazy gluttons? Well, you're only given your allotted calorie allowance for the day. Ah, I see what you mean. So you'd have to work for it if you wanted more. If you wanted more, you would have to work for it. Hmm. I don't know. That's an interesting concept. The reality of it is it would never happen, but that that is likely what a most perfect society that we could create would look like. And it would be, you know, it would be some sort of crowd funded, decentralized management through some sort of computer network or something that made it work because it would not the minute you the minute you put humans in charge it's manipulated right absolute power corrupts absolutely yep but i don't know, I don't know. it's fucking it's weird to start to think about but you know we're we're 10 minutes over and <laughs> never going to figure out elysium on earth but i don't even know how the fuck we got there from know. how we started we, we always come back to ai we always come back to ai because you know what marshall McLuhan said 
Yeah. Human beings are the sex organs for a machine world. <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>